In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, in our Gospel lesson, we are presented with the testimony of John the Baptist, who, needless to say, had a very significant and influential ministry. We saw last week that it actually led to his imprisonment. One of the first things that we notice about the ministry of John is that it produced a lot of confusion. People didn't exactly know what was going on, especially this um, group or coalition of Jewish leaders that go out to interrogate John. You see, for Jewish people in the first century, Palestine was a place that was just full of messianic expectations. And although they varied some, a common theme throughout was the belief that God would indeed act, that he would send a chosen one, an anointed one, a Messiah, through whom the glory of the kingdom of Israel would be restored. The Gentiles would be judged, the foreign leaders would be expelled, and Israel would be finally vindicated. So it's in this context then that a man named John appears on the scene, baptizing and calling people to repent. This is of eschatological, meaning end times importance. And this is what causes the Jews to go out and question John. They were primarily concerned with who he was and on what authority he was performing this eschatologically significant act. Because what John was doing was certainly no insignificant thing. I don't know why for me growing up I never quite understood what the big deal was. Why a person who wore clothes made of camel's hair, ate locusts and wild honey, and ran around taking people and dunking them in water, why it was such a big deal. Because on the surface of it, somebody like this appears to be a bit crazy. Why even give him a second glance? I thought this because I didn't really understand the theological significance of what John was doing and what was really just so revolutionary about it. The main part of John's ministry was baptizing, hence his name, John the Baptist. In Greek it appears, however, as John the one who baptizes or John the baptizing one. So I think it's more accurate to refer to him as John the baptizer because that's what he did. He went around baptizing people. I think it's also best to refer to him as John the baptizer to avoid any denominational confusion because we all know that John was certainly not a Baptist. He was an Anglican. But in all seriousness, though, John baptized and he called people to repentance. He served like a royal messenger who would have announced the king's ascension or military victory. In order for us to get a grasp of the significance of John's baptism, we need to talk a little bit about baptism at the time. Baptism was something that had actually developed later on in Jewish theology. It's not discussed in the Pentateuch as a rite of initiation or anything of the sort. But by the time of the intertestamental period, we see that within certain sections of Judaism, the practice of proselyte baptism had indeed emerged. This was reserved for Gentiles who converted to the Jewish faith as a sign of washing and cleansing as they entered into God's family. So then in this context, there are two things that stand out as being distinctive and significant in what John is doing in his baptism. The first is that baptism in that day was always self-administered. Nowhere do we see any record of someone baptizing another person. So this would have immediately drawn attention. Who exactly 
is this person who believes that he has some kind of authority to go around and baptize other people? The second and more revolutionary distinctive, I would say, about John's baptism is that he calls Gentiles and Jews to be baptized. This was really audacious because in, in doing this, John was essentially treating the Jewish people, those who saw themselves as the descendants of Abraham and the heirs and the guardians of the law and teaching of, of Moses, who's treating these Jewish people then as pagans who needed to be converted. Your bloodline, it doesn't matter. God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is of great offense to the Jews, however, is of cosmic importance to everyone else. Salvation, membership in God's family, is for the whole world. Not on the basis of race, but rather on the basis of faith and repentance. You know, the, the simple yet pervasive theme throughout the course of the Bible, in the context of the announcement of the coming of the Lord, is a call to be prepared. We focus on this preparation throughout the season of Advent, and I think that this preparation could be summed up in the one word, or in this one word, metanoia, repent. And fundamentally, repentance is not about following a long list of arbitrary rules merely for the sake of rule following. At its core, repentance is about reorientation, reorienting ourselves from the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God. And throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus will continue to show us time and time again what it looks like when God is king. And he will show us then how to act and how to live in God's kingdom. And I think that we could say in its simplest form, it is to participate in that which is most really real. To live life as God intended it to be. So many of us lose hope because we pursue it in the wrong kingdom. We pursue it in the wrong story. We pursue it in that which is just a fleeting imitation of reality, and thus we inevitably end up disappointed and longing. You see, the, the hope that we experience in Jesus' first advent, and what gives us hope as we await his second advent, is that we don't have to live our lives the way that we used to. We don't have to live our lives busily scurrying about, trying to find meaning in things that while they promise satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness, actually lead to our own ruin and rob us of true fulfillment and true joy. The hope that we have in anticipation of Jesus' second advent is that we can repent. We can prepare ourselves. And the wonderful thing about this offer to repent, to reorient our lives in the reality of the kingdom of God is that it's for the whole world. And this is what we see in John's baptism. He called everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, to receive baptism and to repent. God's new family is comprised of all those who are found in Christ. It's the good news of the gospel and it's a wonderful gift. So then returning to our story today, we can now 
hopefully better understand the distinctive nature of John's practices and why it caused the Jewish leaders to go out and question him. And the first thing that they asked John, well, the first question that they asked John, and this is fitting for someone who had the audacity to baptize Jews in preparation for the coming of God's kingdom, is whether or not he is the Christ. Is he the Messiah? And John's answer of he confessed and did not deny but confessed is very emphatic. It's a resounding no, I am not the Christ. The next, they ask him if he's Elijah. And why would they do that? It comes from Malachi 4, 5, and 6, which, mind you, are the final verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the Jews thought that, that Elijah would come before the Messiah came. But again, John's answer is very clear. I am not. Okay then, if he's not the Messiah and he's not Elijah, then perhaps he's the prophet. And this, of course, comes from Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. In these verses, we see this promise that God would send a prophet like Moses. And so for Jews in the first century, this was taken to refer to a special end times figure. But again, John's answer is abundantly clear. No, I'm not the prophet. Okay, so you're not the prophet. You're not Elijah. You're not the Messiah. Well, then just who are you? What could possibly justify what you're doing? This revolutionary baptism, this call to repentance for Gentiles and for Jews? Give us an answer. Give us an answer, John. And he's prepared. John has an answer for them to take back to those who sent them. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. In Isaiah, the call of the prophet was one to improve the system of roads, metaphorically speaking, a clearing through, leveling of the hills and straightening of the bends to prepare for the return of God's people from exile. And this exile motif has come to serve as a model for the return of Yahweh, the return of God to his people in a great act of redemption. So even though John recognizes and knows that he is this great voice, he is fulfilling this great prophetic role, he understands as well perfectly what and who this is all about. This isn't about me. You're, you're, you're asking me all the wrong questions. It's not about me. I am not the light. I came to bear witness to the light. The one coming after me, you have no idea. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. In that day, untying someone's sandals was, re was reserved only for slaves. It was a shameful thing to do. That's how unworthy I am in comparison with the one coming after me. So as the church slows down in, ed, in Advent, especially in these final days, we must remember that we slow down and reflect with a purpose in mind. 
to prepare for the coming of our Lord, to put your house in order, to repent, to remember that we aren't worthy enough even to untie the sandals of the one who is coming. This cry in the beginning of John's gospel should still be ringing down in our ears today. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you see that the time to repent is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not the day after that. But it's now. Don't delay. What needs to be cleared away? What needs to be leveled? What is it that's crooked and needs to be made straight in your life? To what are you asleep? The call today is to wake up. And this will stay with us forever. This call will always be there ringing, even if we choose to ignore it. We have to wake up every single morning and choose, to who or to what will I give my allegiance? To who or to what will I give my loyalty? John bears witness to the reality that God was returning to his people in the person of his son. And now we await his second coming. And as we wait, may God give us the grace to wait prayerfully, expectantly, making sure that we are ready and prepared for the moment when he appears. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.